And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to Tuesday. Well, that's the report out on the website today talking a little bit about the effect of passive indexing. Uh, on this relative market. And, and again, it's kind of interesting as we've talked about this uh, previously. We'll get more into, this, uh, more into it, uh, the show this morning. Um, but again, you know, as we start to kind of you know, move into earnings season, which is going to be starting here next week. Now, over the course of the next month, we're going to have a vast majority of the S&P actually reporting earnings. And now kind of all eyes are on earnings right now for companies because this is kind of the moment. Uh, so to speak, right? Has inflation, and of course, what we've seen in terms of rising inflationary pressures over the course of the last couple of months in particular, has that begun to erode the expected earnings that are coming out of these companies? Expectations right now for earnings from S&P 500 companies are very high. So again, you look through the end of this year, we're looking at a very sharp increase in earnings despite the fact that we have you know, inflation running at some of the highest levels that we've seen in 20, 30, 40 years. So you know, has that higher cost input uh, begun to erode those profit margins for companies? That's the big question now. You know, so that's really kind of the risk here over the next couple of months as we go through earnings season is that companies may report good earnings, but they may miss estimates because of inflationary pressures. Now. How the market takes that will be you know, interesting because markets are indeed very overvalued here. Expectations are very high that this year will be a repeat of last year. In fact, uh, reading some articles out yesterday, analysts are coming out now with targets of as much as 5,500 on the S&P for this year. Now we're you know, right around 4,800. So we're talking about another double digit gain this year for the markets. Now, again, you know, that wouldn't be surprising because we've had very, very good return years in the markets over the last several years. In fact, over the last three years, markets have been averaging about 24% annualized. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty phenomenal run. Of course, this has all been due to just a massive surge of liquidity by the Federal Reserve and zero interest rates. But therein lies the caveat. The Fed is now reversing all that. We're going to be hiking rates as many as four times this year. And the bond purchasing is going to go to zero within just the next few months. So all of a sudden, the, the underlying dynamic of the market is really beginning to change here. And I don't think really that investors and pretty much the financial media have really given that consideration, you know, to what's actually happening with the economy this year, and particularly with the underlying support for the market. So we'll see how this works out. We're going to keep you, you know, keep you up to date, obviously. Um, a couple of other interesting kind of side notes here. You know, we've been talking about you know, this rising wage growth that's happening uh, within the economy. And, and we're seeing a lot of wages really come up. But interestingly enough, the biggest wage increases are, are at the lower end of the, of the pay scale, right? So clerks and uh, retail and those type of things, some of the more service, leisure, hospitality, have had big pay raises. And it's also where you're seeing a lot of the quit rates, right? We, we hear this conversation about, you know, people quitting their job to go get a better paying job. Well, most of that's occurring in these kind of lower wage pay scale jobs because 
you know, if I work at one restaurant, it's very easy to quit and move to another restaurant and get a little bit better pay. And this is, this is of course, forcing wages to rise across the board because if I'm a, let's say I'm a restaurateur as an example, and my hostess quits to go work at another restaurant because she's gonna get paid, he or she, uh, is gonna get paid you know, $2 more an hour to do that job. Well, I've gotta hire somebody to replace her, which means that I now have to pay $2 more to get that job filled. So this is what's forcing wages up kind of across the board, and especially in jobs that are very easy to quit and go move to a new job. Um, we're not seeing that as much in the higher wage scale. So a lot of this kind of phenomenon about quit rates is really occurring at that lower end of the scale. Now, not surprising here, of course, is as you start seeing wage increases that you start seeing people move jobs very quickly, and particularly in an environment where there's a lot of demand for jobs, at least it appears that way. Now, I suspect, though, that now we're getting back to full employment and we've gotten past a lot of this economic shutdown event that we went through in March of 2020, that this is going to start to really start to taper off here very soon. One of the other interesting dynamics is going to be over the course of this coming year, which is this whole work from home thing that we started with the economic shutdown and the COVID crisis. Um, you know, the issue with work from home really has a two pronged effect. The first is that a lot of companies have a lot of commercial footage and that's not being utilized. Now, here's the question that you've got to ask yourself if you're a commercial real estate investor. Is the work from home phenomenon, is it permanent? If it is, and I'm a commercial real estate investor, I may want to seriously reconsider holding onto my buildings because if people don't come back to work, there's going to be a lot of companies that say, I don't need the office space. Uh, I'm going to be terminating my lease. This could leave a lot of buildings. In Houston, as an example, before we went into the COVID crisis, there was already about 6 million square feet of excess office space that hadn't been filled yet. So this could become a real problem for commercial real estate development as we go forward if we don't get that work from home shift back to work from office. I suspect we will. And here's how this is going to potentially play out. A lot of people are demanding to work from home because they like that flexibility. The problem is, is productivity isn't nearly as good. People really aren't, most people, and particularly the younger generation, are not really designed to work from home unsupervised very well. Too many other things that are going on. Um, so the problem will be ultimately is that companies may say, great, you want to work from home, that job will pay less because you have all this extra flexibility. If you want to work from the office, you're going to get paid more. So we may see a shift in wage growth back to the work from office type scenario to pull people back into offices ultimately because you get higher productivity and you get higher use out of your dollars. So again, you know, we'll, you know, this is an assumption right now. It's, it's still very early. And of course, there's no guarantee of any of that going to work out that way. But it's something to think about. We may see a real change over the course of the next couple of years. Now, this isn't going to happen overnight next week, next month. But over the next couple of years, we may see a shift by corporations to want to be, bring people back to the office. And, and, it, and particularly as we get past this, you know, kind of COVID pandemic and turning it into an endemic, which is like the annual seasonal flu, everybody gets it and we just kind of live with it and move on. Once we move to the endemic stage of this whole virus application, I think you'll see a bigger demand for a return to office type environment. And that's going to potentially play a shift here on wage growth, where wage growth is actually occurring. 
and also on the demand for employment. So we'll see how this we'll see how this all works. But I think it's an interesting dynamic that we'll be watching here over the next couple of years, particularly, as I said, as the pandemic becomes endemic. Uh, I think we'll start to see a lot of changes into how the economy actually functions. Now, when we come back from the break, of course, we'll talk a little bit about where we are in the markets. We've had this nice correction here over the last first, well, first few days of the year. Uh, we're going to get a, a bit of a rally this morning. Had a nice recovery yesterday. Should get us back above the 50-day moving average. But I'll tell you, we're not out of the woods just yet. And we'll talk more about why when we come back from the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts, for this morning's edition of The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see and money tips you need to know in the new year Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So a couple things this morning. Uh, after the last few days of kind of a market route you know it's always interesting is is that uh, the mark you know one week we're talking about markets hitting an all new hot right and everybody's very excited and this was the last week of December say so markets you know rallied back to all-time highs and and last year uh really in November we said that you know when the market had sold off and we were moving into that December early December sell-off which we had discussed we said look you know you're going to get a correction the first couple of weeks of December. You have mutual fund distributions that occurred, and that set us up for the Santa Claus rally. And we said, even if we get the Santa Claus rally, I wouldn't expect, you know, really to make, you know, dramatically new highs, right? And we, we made some new highs, but just barely. So, you know, it, it's just that the markets are getting very extended here, um, you know, and, and also, too, with a lot of the liquidity coming out of the system, there's just less demand for stocks. Liquidity has been very dry as of late. But it's interesting is that as we're hitting new highs, all you see on the financial media is, is, you know, markets are all time highs. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. And as soon as the market goes through a normal correction of two or 3%, just to come back down and test a 50 day moving average, you know, it's markets in turmoil, you know, markets are, you know, diving and, and investors are being crushed and, you know, it's, it's flee for the, the, uh, the exits. And it's just, you know, this is the problem with listening to the media. We, we wrote um, last Friday, it's on our website, talking about investor resolutions. And one of the investors' resolutions, and the one I certainly encourage you to adhere to, is to turn off the television. <laughs> um, 
it'll it'll lead you to make bad emotional emotionally driven decisions about your portfolio and and again it's important to kind of step back and just kind of keep things in perspective yes there's certainly been some damage done to the markets and particularly in a lot of the highly speculative areas uh, if you take a look at bitcoin as an example it's you know down from over it was, it was close to sixty five thousand last year. It's down to forty one thousand this morning, recovering a little bit. Actually broke forty thousand yesterday, recovering a little bit this morning. A lot of the high flyer stocks last year, and you know we've touched on this a couple of times over the last week, and particularly the stocks that you'll find inside of like the Ark Innovation Fund. Um, these are good. Com- I mean, these are interesting companies. I, I can't say they're you know they're good companies because fundamentals aren't there. But they're interesting companies, and they're doing some very interesting, innovative things in the technology space, and and I am sure that some of them are going to go on to become monster companies at some point. Some of them won't, and they'll either go away by merger acquisition or they'll go out of business, one of the three. And that's not uncommon particularly when we see the type of IPO and SPAC activity that we saw last year. And in fact, yesterday's article is talking about the speculation in 2021, which is where we kind of go through a lot of these things that occurred in 2021, record IPO issuance, record SPAC issuance, those type of things, which are just clear signs of of speculation. Now, you know, the last time we saw this type of activity, and by the way, last year was a record by a, by a long stretch. But the last time we were even close to this type of, of IPO activity was in 1999. And over the next three years, a lot of those companies went out of business. I know it's hard to believe that if a company goes public that they can go out of business, but they do. And I'm not, and I'm not saying they all are, right? I'm just saying there's a risk. There's a lot of companies that came public this year that really shouldn't have been public. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But there's certainly some risk there. And a lot of those stocks, importantly, have been under a tremendous amount of selling pressure. Some of those stocks, are there, there's a, a large contingent of those companies that are down 50% from their highs. And, and that's kind of the, the article that we have out on the website today for our Technically Speaking post, which is, it's a, you know, that's made an interesting story. If you take a look at the markets, yes, we're down over the last few days by, you know, 3 4%. And you'd think the market was in a, a major bear market, according to the media. But the market's down, you know, just a few percentage points from the high, well within, you know, a few-day rally of getting back to all-time highs. But yet you've got a large contingent of the components of these indexes down 30, 40, 50% from their highs. So there's a bear market going on kind of beneath the surface. And in today's article, I use this kind of example of a iceberg. And the, the reason is, is that makes for a good example. I'm, I'm uh, fumbling around over here looking for my article. It's all I get for not being prepared this morning. Um, but it's an interesting it's an interesting analogy because when you take a look at it from the standpoint that you've got an iceberg and, and and if you look at an iceberg in the ocean you only see the tip of the iceberg there's a large portion of that iceberg that's actually underwater and 
That's really the index. When you take a look at the index today, as an example, 30% of the index, the market capitalization of the index, is comprised of 10 stocks. And that's the 10 stocks that you see above the surface. And those are the 10 stocks that are keeping the index in a bull market. Now, you strip those out to where we're now looking at that bottom 490 stocks where a, a fairly significant chunk of those are in a bear market. You got a very different story for the index. Index wouldn't have been up 26, 27, 28% last year. Been a far different story. And that's kind of this mirage that's going on, but it, it's being created by this impact of passive investing. And again, th this isn't a bash on passive investing. It's, 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 a, it's a phenomenon that's occurring in the markets, and that's all we're talking about here, is that you've got, for example, Apple, which is a very large contingent of the S&P 500 index. You have 365 different ETFs that all own Apple. The largest ETF that owns Apple has about $178 million worth of, of shares in it. So when I go to buy an ETF, and I put an ETF in our ETF portfolio as an example, then that ETF has to go buy all those stocks. So every time I buy XLK, which has a 20% plus position of Apple in it, then XLK has to go buy Apple. So there's this, there's this ongoing pressure to buy these big cap companies because they make up such a large position within the overall index. And that continuous push to buy those stocks has kept those stocks elevated and a lot of these smaller stocks that have gotten crushed lately, they're not in these ETFs. In fact, if you look at the, you know, the top holdings of an ETF, most ETFs, you know, and what you'll find is, is that you know, they've got you know, 50, 80 holdings, roughly, whatever. But a lot of these smaller companies aren't in them. So they don't get, you know, they don't get that buying power push from passive indexing that Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and others get. So you get this kind of bifurcation in the markets to where we have this structure where we've got a number of companies that are supporting the market, right? The ones that we see above, when we take a look at the market, we see the market above water and we go, oh, the index is doing fine. Well, it's only because of the function of those top 10% of companies, those top 10 stocks. So I ran some analysis. There's roughly 1,750 ETFs in the U.S. that trade equities, and 363 of them own Apple, 532 own Microsoft, 322 own Google, um, 213 own the other shares of Google. <laughs> uh, so you got a total of about, you know, over 500 ETFs owning Google. Um, 424 own Amazon, 330 own Netflix, 445 own NVIDIA. 339 on Tesla, 271 on Berkshire Hathaway, and 350 on J.P. Morgan. Now, those are your top 10 stocks in the S&P. So that's what you see when you take a look at the index. And so, yes, the index is down recently because Apple, Microsoft, Google have been under pressure, but not to a great degree. We've seen them correct here a little bit. 
But because of all that buying power that occurs from these ETFs, that's keeping those elevated. Now, the problem with this, of course, is when this reverses. If at any point those top 10 stocks started to get sold off for any, any reason, the whole process reverses, right? The iceberg flips upside down. Because at that point, you have individuals sell. So let's say I own Apple shares. So I'm selling Apple because Apple's going down in price. And then all of a sudden, everybody that owns these ETFs, the billions upon billions of dollars that are sitting in ETFs, if they start selling those ETFs, those ETFs now have to sell those shares of Apple, Microsoft, Google, NVIDIA, Amazon. So now not only do I have selling pressure currently in the markets from people that are selling their individual holdings, I now have these ETFs selling. And here's the problem, and this is why we have a liquidity problem in the markets, is that once everybody starts selling at one time, who's going to be buying them? Who's going to be the buyer? You're selling. ETFs are selling. Who's going to buy from you? And, and look, there has to be a buyer. Somebody has to be on the other side of that trade. And, and, you know, there's, as we've discussed here on the show many times, for every buyer, there's a seller. The question is always at what price? And this is how you get these very big dislocations in the markets and how you can have a 35% decline in a month like we saw in March of 2020 because there are literally no buyers. They're there. There's going to be a lot lower prices. They're not at current prices. At least not right now. So that's the big thing to, to, to kind of keep a watch on. But again, that article is on the website today talking about this, this mirage of passive indexing. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year join danny ratliff and richard rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on saturday january 15th you'll learn the landmines to avoid tax advantages we see and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Meryl Stein Roberts, of course. And get by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. That article I was just talking about, uh, talking about the, the passive investing is hiding the bear market. It's on the website now for you. Um, and if you're subscribed to our email, uh, you will also get that today. Uh, simply go by the website, subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, you only get two articles a week off of our subscription, so you do miss some of the stuff that we post on our website. So I encourage you to go by realinvestmentadvice.com daily because there's always new stuff there. But if you subscribe to our email list, we only send you our newsletter on the weekend and our technically speaking post on Tuesdays. 
just trying to keep you kind of up to date. But there's, again, there's a lot of other blogs. Yesterday's blog on the website that did not go out by email, so you missed it if you're not on our list, is uh, was talking specifically about, you know, the speculation that occurred in 21, 2021 and looking at the signs of speculation. And again, you know, these are all important because at the moment, there seems to be nothing to worry about with, with respect to the markets. Markets are just going up, doesn't seem to be a problem, everything is fine. And that, that is true, and everything is fine. But that's always the risk to the market. It's always fine until some unexpected exogenous event changes things or liquidity changes in the markets. And for the first time since 2018, we've now got a change of liquidity coming to the markets. So... The important thing to be, and as we've talked about here on the show, the thing to be really kind of paying attention to here over the next few months is what the Fed does. Now, there's a little bit of a difference this time, and I thought it was interesting this morning. There was a chart out that was showing the Fed's expectations of inflation over the course of this year. So this chart has had it shows current you know shows current CPI running at about almost seven percent, and the Fed's now going to cut liquidity and they're going to hike interest rates and their expectation is is that inflation will fall back to the two percent line and stop there. Now, the one thing that we should all know by now is that the Fed has no control over inflation. Having a mandate of price stability is ludicrous. You can't control inflation with monetary policy. And their history proves it. If you go back and look at, at history as an example, and take a look at their actions. They have consistently created booms and busts in the markets by trying to manipulate economic outcomes. Every time we start getting into a period of stronger economic growth, they start raising interest rates and we wind up in a recession a year or two later. And without fail, since 1980, Every time the Fed has become active, we've either wound up in a bear market, some type of crisis or something from long-term capital management to the dot-com bust to the real estate crisis to where whatever's going to be next by the Fed manipulating interest rates and monetary policy. You know, it's interesting. We look back at March of 2020. We go, well, you know, had we not shut down the economy, there wouldn't have been a recession. I'm not so sure about that. Because there were indications we were headed to a recession to begin with. You know, if you take a look back in 2019, as an example, the yield curve was inverted. And the yield curve has a perfect track record historically for predicting recessions. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. But it basically denotes the demand for money within an economy more than anything else. When the economy is slowing, the yield curve inverts. But at the same time, the Fed was having to bail out the banks through repo operations. Something was clearly wrong with the banks. Something was not right. 
So we, we look at March of 2020 and we go, well, you know, had we not shut down the economy, we wouldn't have had a recession. Maybe. Or maybe it would have just been postponed a little while longer. But there was already signs, there was already evidence in place, and important evidence in place, that we had problems in the financial system and that we had problems within the economy and we were heading towards a recession. And what we needed was a catalyst to push that into place. And so, yes, a more dramatic catalyst was shutting down the economy. Now, am I saying that had it not, you know, had we shut down the economy, would we not have a recession? You know, I don't know. But all I'm saying is, is that there was evidence already in place that we were heading towards a recession. You had all the classic signs in place. The Fed had been tapering their balance sheet. They had had been hiking rates. And then, then again, that's another good example, right? So let's go back to 2019 again. In 2018, the Fed's hiking rates. The markets have a 20% decline. They stop hiking rates. But in July of 2019, they're dropping rates back to zero. But the economy's fine. Or was it? Yield curves inverted. Now we're having to do repo to bail out banks. There was something clearly wrong in the financial markets. We don't want to remember that. It's easier to blame the shutdown of the economy for the cause of the recession, but the, the shutdown was the catalyst. The ingredients for the recession were already in place. And then, of course, it took over a trillion dollars worth of liquidity from the Fed and another $5 trillion from the government to try to bail the economy back out again. And now we're back, right? Supposedly. But here we are again. Now we're fighting the other side of that coin with inflation. Now the Fed's going to start hiking inflation. Uh, sorry, hiking interest rates to battle inflation. Well, every time they start hiking rates, they create economic problems. So again, it's, it's interesting from the standpoint that we have so much implicit faith in an organization that has failed miserably, repeatedly throughout the last 30 years, but we keep <laughs> expecting them to get it better next time. There's on uh, TikTok, there's a, a funny video series of a coach. And what the coach does is he walks out, you know, to the pitcher's mound. And it's, it's a young kid, right? He's a young, you know, young kind of a teenage pitcher. And the coach walks out to him. And, and the sayings are always different. But he says, he walks out to the pitcher and he says, as an example, he says, I am sure your parents told you that when you grow up, you could be anything you wanted to be. But I don't think they intended you to be the worst pitcher in the league. And every video is different, right? Every video is going out and berating this poor kid for being a terrible pitcher. But he's still pitching him, right? Kid's still out there pitching. He's the worst pitcher in the league, apparently, but he's still pitching him. And that's kind of the Fed. And, and look, it's, you know, TikTok, it's all fantasy, right? It's all for the views. But it's the analogy that we keep pitching the Fed. The Fed's got this, man. They're the worst pitcher in the league. But we keep we keep going to them again and again and saying, okay, look, y'all got to bail it out. 
So they bail it out. And then they go, well, now we don't like it. You got to fix it. And so we go to fix it and it causes a crash. Well, now you got to bail it out again. It would seem to me at some point, and I know I'm a dreamer, right? But it would seem to me at some point that somebody would wake up and say, you know what? We need to let the economy just sort itself out and get itself back to operating on a capitalistic basis. Because if you did, if you did, you wouldn't have the wealth inequality gap. The economy would sort that out. You wouldn't have millennials on social media complaining about how capitalism sucks because capitalism would be working. But you've got to go through, but, but again, nobody wants to go through the pain. It's like fixing Social Security. We could fix Social Security, but nobody wants to, to, to go through the short-term pain to fix it. Instead, we're going to let it bust, and then, then we'll sort it out at some point, and it'll cost trillions of dollars to fix it. But that's something that hopefully, <laughs> what Brent and I are hoping, is that that'll happen after we have collected our security <laughs> of what's left. You know, and again, you know, we—it's always an interesting story because every generation talks about, well, you know, I got to fix this because the next generation will inherit it, but we don't ever fix it because we don't want to take the pain of what it takes to fix it now. So we keep passing it down to the next generation. Well, now we're passing it down to a generation that can't fix it, and they're going to suffer the consequences with it ultimately. Now, whether it's you know this next generation coming up or the generation after that inherit the bulk of the mess will yet to be seen. Fortunately, I won't be around here to, to find out. But it's a problem. And the problem is simply focused on bad monetary and fiscal policy that we keep trying to figure out how to use more debt and more money that we don't have to try to keep covering up the problems that we keep creating instead of letting capitalism and economic process fix itself. But hey, maybe the Fed will pitch a better game this time around. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't let 2022 be a repeat of the past year. Join Danny Ratliff and Richard Rosso for their essential smart money tips for the new year candid coffee event on Saturday, January 15th. You'll learn the landmines to avoid, tax advantages we see, and money tips you need to know in the new year. Register now for our next Candid Coffee at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show.
opening up the markets this morning. We're going to be up a little bit today. Time for a rally, of course, as, you know, after several days of sell-off here, markets have gotten oversold on a short-term basis. So not surprising we're going to bounce here. The question, of course, is, you know, how far of a bounce will we get and what you should you be doing with it? And so there's a couple of questions here in particular that you need to be thinking about when it comes to your portfolio is, is how has it been performing relative to the markets? So if you're not happy with the performance, you probably have too much risk in your portfolio. So it might be time to use this rally to start to clean some of that up. The other side of this, of course, is also this idea of this rotation to value, something that um, we had talked about in December with uh, Charles Payne on Fox Business saying, look, you know, one of the things we kind of expect this year coming up is maybe a rotation to value. And that's really kind of been the case here over the first part of this year anyway. Value has been well outperforming growth uh, so far this year. The question, though, becomes is that that move has really kind of gotten extended on a very short-term basis. So it wouldn't be surprising to see a bit of a rotation from those stocks back into kind of the growth names, uh, trying to bottom fish some of these kind of growth names that have been real beaten up here. And I think we may see that a lot this year. We may see a bunch of this rotation kind of back and forth, kind of chasing stocks that get oversold and then selling them to chase whatever was outperforming that's now underperforming and, and back and forth. And, and this leads to volatility in the markets. And something we expect this year will be the case is a higher level of volatility. So on this rally, it would probably be a really good idea to review what's working, what's not working. And this will be a good test. This is kind of a litmus test for your portfolio, which is, this, let's say the market rallies 2% over the course of the next week. And you go look at your portfolio and you have 10 stocks that rallied more than 2%, right? So they are performing better than the markets at this point. Those you may want to kind of keep a watch on, right? Um, if you've got stocks where the market's rallying and they're not, you know, if the market's not lifting pretty much all boats, then you may want to consider your positioning. Part of this also is taking a look at the growth versus the value trade. Do you have a lot of high beta stocks that have been under pressure lately? Do you have a lot of stocks that are down a lot more than the markets? Those are stocks you may want to consider replacing with something else. This may be a year where we start to see that, that fundamentals really play. And, and the reason for that will be earnings expectations right now are very high for earnings. And as we started talking about at the open this morning, inflation is going to be problematic. And it's going to be problematic, particularly for small cap and mid cap companies that don't have the ability to pass on that inflation to their customers. And more importantly, they don't have the ability to buy back their own shares to a great degree to help manipulate their earnings reports. We talked a little bit yesterday about Apple. Apple's a prolific buyer of their shares. They bought back half a trillion dollars worth of their shares over the last three, four years, and they've doubled the value of their company, but sales have not kept up with the growth of the stock. Sales are good, but they're only growing at about 10, 11% a year, which is what you'd expect for a mature company. And they've, they've, doubled the value of the company to a $3 trillion market cap over the last four years, primarily most of that being driven 
buy half a trillion dollars worth of share buybacks. If they hadn't bought back half a trillion dollars worth of shares, they wouldn't have made their earnings numbers that they reported. And so that's really kind of the key. A lot of these small mid-cap companies don't have that ability. They don't have the capital to do it. And they have much less ability to pass on prices to consumers. So inflation is going to be problematic for margins this year. If inflation is more persistent than transient. We'll see. We're going to, get, we're going to have a CPI report this week. So we're going to get kind of the first glimpse of those inflationary pressures. Are they, persi- are they persisting? Or are they starting to kind of peak out here? We'll see. And then, of course, throw on top of that the reduction in liquidity from the Fed. you got problems. So I would certainly consider using this rally that we get today, tomorrow, Friday, whatever it is, however long it is, to certainly take a look at the risk in your portfolio and rebalance that. And... This is really where we get into, you know, those rules that we talk about in terms of managing a portfolio. Here's going to be some of the things you're going to you're going to be thinking about when you look at a position. You're going to look at a stock and it's down more than the markets. In fact, you've given up a big chunk of your gains and you go, you know, maybe it'll come back. Don't do that. There's a reason it's down as much as it is. And, you know, you're wrong at this point. It's okay to be wrong in investing. That's part of it. You're not going to get every trade right. So be willing to take the loss and move on. If you bought a stock wrong and you're down a lot in it, don't sit around waiting for it to come back to try to change to something else. That's opportunity cost. Sell it, move on, buy something else that's working now. You can always come back and buy it later when it starts to improve when it bottoms and when it forms a nice base and it, and, it, and it rallies a bit and starts to show more of a bullish trend, come back and buy it then if you like the company. But don't stick with it just because you're hoping it'll get back to even. Hope is not an investment strategy, right? It's an excuse. So... When you start going through these emotional decision-making processes, right? You're looking at your position portfolio. Well, I, you know, it's going up. I don't want to. I don't want to sell it because, you know, it might keep going up. Or I, I don't want to sell it because I might pay some taxes. You know, there's a point to where you have to analyze a position for. It is more than fairly valued. I have gotten a good return out of it. I need to sell it and move on to something else. Or I need to at least take profits in it and protect what I've made in it and move on to something else. But we don't do that, right? Because we kind of start letting our emotions take over. Yeah, but I, I might get it might go up a little more. It might go up a little more. And eventually what happens is, is that you lose 30, 40, 50% in it, and then you're going, well... If it ever gets back to where it was, I'll sell it, right? Now you're in the trap. And once you're in that trap, it's almost impossible to get out of, and generally it leads to very poor portfolio performance over time because this is just the emotional variables that we get trapped into. We anchor to a certain price. We get trapped by you know herd mentality. We, you know, we do... All the you know loss avoidance. We don't you know we we try to to avoid things, and 
you know, those are the those key emotional drivers that you want to avoid because they lead to very poor outcomes in your portfolio. You've got to look at your portfolio from a very non-emotional, vulcanistic attitude. It's down, it's down, it's not working, I sell it, I move on. It's up, I made a lot of money in it, I'm taking profits, I'm moving on. Doesn't matter. If you leave some money on the table for somebody else, great, you did awesome. Doesn't mean you lost out on anything. Means you made money and somebody else made some money. But trying to be the last one in the stock will ultimately leave you being the last one in the stock at exactly the wrong time. And you don't want to do that. So again, we're going to get a rally. Dow's up about 60 points this morning. Looks like the S&P up will be about uh, 12, 13 points here at the open. Of course, they've had pretty good shellackings here over the last few days. In particular, a nice rally back from the lows yesterday. You know, it was interesting yesterday morning. I can always tell when we're getting close to a short-term bottom because I start getting calls from advisors in my office uh, you know, not to name any names, Richard Russo, uh, talking about, you know, a, <laughs> markets are terrible, terrible. It's awesome. <laughs> I know we're close to a bottom, right? Uh, when we start getting those phone calls, um, I start getting emails. You know, it's like, is selling ever going to stop? Good examples of where we're close to bottoms. And I've been getting those for the last couple of days. And so not surprising we're going to bounce here. Does that mean now, does that mean the selling's over? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means we're going to get a bounce. And that bounce may last one day. It may last two days. Maybe over today. But the point is, is that we are oversold enough for a bounce. Use the bounce to do something. If you don't, and that's the important part, if you don't like what your portfolio's been doing, change it. Do something different. Now, that doesn't mean sell everything and start all over, okay? We're talking about making some changes, right? You know, if my pitcher's on the mound and he's the worst pitcher in the league, I don't just forfeit the game and go home. I swap out pitchers, right? So don't forfeit the game. Just start swapping out some players, to get some better performance and 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 do so with some rational thought don't just don't do willy-nilly just start you know throwing things out the window and buying something else and 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 for sure don't sell stuff that's losing and buy stuff that's very overbought right now <laughs> you know the value trade is way overbought don't go jumping into value right here you know you're gonna have a rotation here over the next few days so use the rally to raise some cash then wait for the correction if you want to move to value wait for value to correct a little bit and then start adding to value you don't have to do it all at once but look if you need some help go by the website realinvestmentadvice.com send us your emails always happy to help you there's a big box that says ask a question you can schedule an appointment whatever you need help with we're always happy to help you it's all at the website. Also, you can check out simplevisor.com. We post all our portfolios there. We tell you what we're doing trading-wise. If you want to do it yourself, it's a great tool with a lot of research there to help you manage your portfolio better. It's all at the website, of course. You find it all there, realinvestmentadvice.com, realinvestmentadvice.com. Well, we'll see you tomorrow. Stick around. Three minutes on Markets and Money. We'll be up shortly. It's a rich man's world.
to his bad world.